haven't learned to trust us yet. Trust you? You're kidnappers. I'm nothing but a hostage. We don't see you that way, do we, Joshua? Whatever you say, Paul. What's that mean? It means we got folks following us on account of her. And just when we thought they was gonna leave us alone again. Again? Are you wanted for something? You shut up, you. You learn to talk to her with more respect. Welcome to Highlander Rewatched, uh, the podcast where we talk about each and every episode of Highlander the series and discuss it in detail. I'm one of your hosts, Keith. I'm Kyle. Amen. And today's episode is episode number seven, Mountain Man. First aired on Saturday, November 14th, 1992. Uh, this was directed by Thomas J. Wright. He's a longtime series director here. Uh, and he also directed No Holds Barred. Very good. The Hulk Hogan magnum opus that it is. We're uh, going to bring this up. Every every episode. time every time he directs, <laughs> send your comments about no holds barred <laughs> to no holds barred rewatchers at gmail. gmail. <laughs> uh, anyway, this episode was written by uh, Marie Chantel Droney, um, and I was trying to find out some info on that, but her last name is Droney, uh, and it's the same as Kevin Droney, who wrote like the he's written a number of episodes, including he wrote Mortal Kombat uh, and the Hurricane. So I'm going to assume. That maybe this is his wife. Also, on IMDb, her only credit is Highlander episodes. Exactly. So she's she's written like four episodes of Highlander. So that's another reason I'm thinking like maybe she yeah she's his wife and she was kind of helping out or who yeah. knows what like maybe she's not really this isn't really her career. I don't know. Um, but I thought that was interesting that she wrote this episode for somebody that's presumably not a screenwriter because they only have four imdb credits this is one of the better episodes we've seen in a while yeah yeah definitely i'd say this is probably top three of the episodes we've done so far maybe yeah um so there's this this episode has some guest stars in it it has mark singer as caleb cole uh you might recognize him from beastmaster uh he's great i i remember him as a kid uh from the V miniseries. Oh, right. Yeah, he's like the main character in that. Uh, he's like the TV cameraman. Um, I forget his name, actually. But I used to watch V all the time when I was a kid. And it was awesome. Um, and I think he's also an Arrow. I haven't seen too much Arrow, but I want to say he's he is. a character in he that, is. too. Then uh, it's also got Brent State. He's Eddie Doyle, who's Mark, uh, Mark Singer's son in this. Um, he shows up later in another episode as another character. Uh, huh. That happens a lot in this show. Is they kind of recycle a lot of these kind of Vancouver-based character actors. They just kind of appear again and again. Uh, and there's a lot of like you see all these actors pop up in like X Files and MacGyver, like any show that's filmed in the Vancouver area. Zorro, a lot of Zorro yeah. actors. Also, uh, the sheriff Wes Studi. Oh, yeah. He's in, like, 80 billion things. Like, he's a really familiar face. Yeah, definitely. I know he was in Mystery Man. I think he was the Sphinx. Oh. Yeah, so uh, the episode description, according to IMDb, is when Tessa's ramble in the great outdoors leads to her kidnapping by a group of lawless mountain men, Duncan must find and rescue her before a forced, quote-unquote, wedding. <laughs> uh. Yeah. 
So, Michael, any good episode of Highlander, it opens with a cock killing? It's really dark the way this episode opens. Yeah. It's oh, really yeah. unsettling. It's like these mountain men are killing two sheriff's officers well, who like, come to uh, apparently apprehend them. It's completely dark. You just see three flashlights, and you hear the Beastmaster, presumably, <laughs> like talking to these guys. You don't see them. Which I have no idea what their accents are. And again, yeah. we're left in a quandary as to where Seacouver is, that well, it's two, within driving different distance of this place. But Two of them are Southern. Beastmaster's accent, uh, it's like Tom Waits mixed with Popeye. I don't know what <laughs> that's going on. But it's... I love it. Whatever that accent yeah, is, it's good. Like he commits to it, and it's consistent, and it's really entertaining throughout oh, sure, the entire sure. episode. And also, we find out a little later in the episode that that flashback or that that scene takes place one year ago. Right. That that was like a, a little while ago. Also, I wanted to mention that the uh, the opening credits are different in this episode. This is a right a big deal. Um, I think a big deal. Uh, so there's yeah. two, two big changes. That happen. Uh, the opening narration by Duncan is different, and we, it's so much better. It's it a lot better. slower. It, it feels like he's not trying to win a race. Yeah, uh, it's yeah. They've they've almost cut it down in half what the the text is. So in this new narration, he says, "I was born 400 years ago in the Highlands of Scotland. I am immortal, and I am not alone. Now is the time of the gathering. When the stroke of a sword will release the power of the quickening. In the end, there can be only one." Uh, I think it's a little more concise. Uh, yeah. I don't know if it necessarily explains more, but it feels less like, huh? Like, what's happening? It's way more satisfying. Oh, yeah. Also, all the extraneous text isn't flying across the screen, like immortal, quickening, gathering. <laughs> that, that <is laughs> yeah, amazing. also, yeah, the, the other difference, or one of the other differences, maybe there's three differences, is that the uh, some of the images are different. Yeah, yeah. and there, there are new, new footage of McLeod as different, figures from his long life right that's pretty cool um and then the other big thing that is changed is the highlander font is finally in Hooray. place uh so they've replaced like the weird like the rocks the rocks uh with like what we now know as the classic highlander the series like angular font yeah um yeah it's awesome i don't know this 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 it's felt pretty good the first time i saw it yeah so we have these uh deputies who were murdered and then we cut to Tessa being escorted out of the antiques shop by a shirtless Richie. Yeah, so Tess, it turns out, is going to go take a little, like, nature hike to visit, as she says, her favorite shaman. Which is a very confusing thing to say. It is confusing because it, well, it ends up being just a cave painting sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, but Richie doesn't really want her to go, and so we're going to play a clip now and where Richie kind of expounds on his hatred of nature. This is amazing. You know what I don't like about the great outdoors? There's all these bugs and funky animals looking at you, hiding, trying to figure out where you fit in in the food chain. What are you going on about now? I like nature in smaller doses, you know, like shrubs in pots. I got lost in the nursery once. I'll be fine. Maybe you should wait for Duncan. There are bears up in the mountains. <laughs> hey, hey, boo-boo. Uh, not to ruin it, but there are no bears in this episode. Boo. <laughs> There's only Beastmasters in the mountains. Yeah, so Richie hates nature. He also talks like he's like 
completely wasted. Like he's yeah. hung, or hung over at least. Like it's like he's yeah. groggy from getting up or something. Yeah. Maybe it's early in the Maybe morning. It is early. Why does he have to walk her to? It's really weird. But yeah, so she's she's going on this road trip and uh, off she goes. So she 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 ends up making it to the Great North Woods. And she, I guess, kind of checks in at the uh, like it's the like a weigh-in station or yeah, something. exactly. And so she goes on her hike, but like those mountain men are like right there, like because right. they're like spying on her from the they're edge of the road, all going. And they're yeah. like, "That's a fine-looking woman." And then somebody else goes, "Yeah, she is." It's <laughs> it's gross. Yeah. Well, there's they don't, probably don't see a lot of ladies deep in the woods, so um, I don't know. It's creepy. So cool. Aim and justified. That. <laughs> Whoops! Yeah. These these deliverance types. I'm not doing saying this it's thing. okay. <laughs> Just that maybe that's why. Tess goes on her walk. She finds her like shaman. The ruins. These are like old uh, Indian ruins or whatever. And she's taking pictures. Uh, these mountain men confront her, and they're like, "Oh, you're a fine looking woman," and they want her to come with them mm-hmm. because he wants to be married. Yeah, he wants to. Does he reveal marry that her. at this point? I think he does. Like right away. Or like, does, yeah. There's no first date. There's no. Yeah. He doesn't hit on her. He just is like, I want you to be my woman. <laughs> is just what he jumps for. <laughs> Which, uh, if you if you haven't seen the episode, you should absolutely watch it just to hear their accents. It's awesome. It's <laughs> a marvel. So she gets taken by these guys, and then. We and cut- I, I, I do want to say that uh, Beastmaster is like, you got to say goodbye to all that human stench. That <laughs> <laughs> was a good line. The human stench part is they they seem to have some kind of contempt for, you know, ordinary society. Yeah, and like civilization. Want to and- live completely free in the woods. Right. If anybody has human stench, though, <laughs> it's these three guys who have been living in the woods and not bathing. Well, I'm sure they bathe in, like, rivers and streams and such. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so Tess is, like, leaving a trail behind so someone can find her. She drops, like, her film canister. Right. Uh, so hopefully someone will find that and kind of pick up on it. Throughout this episode, we get the first glimpse of it here. They keep on referencing a weird contest between white people and Native Americans. Like, they keep on specifying, like, we're going where no white man has gone before. <laughs> No native either. <laughs> like, they keep on drawing some contrast that, like, not only have no white people been there, but, like, this is super secret even to Native Americans. And that's, like, supposed to be impressive for some reason. It's very odd. Yeah. So Duncan comes back to the antique shop. Uh, he was visiting Peking, the Forbidden City. And he's like, hey, uh, wh- where's Tess? Where'd she go? And Richie fills him in. She's out in the woods visiting some shaman or something. But uh, he checks his pocket watch. He's like, hmm, she should have been back by now. So he starts on a trip out to the woods to find her because he thinks something's up here. I I also wanted to mention that when Duncan gets back, uh, there's a song playing. Uh, All the music in the show always catches my ear. Uh, So the song, I looked it up. It's called Dancing on a Red Line by Chris Ainscoff and Katie Tanita. You shouldn't know those names. I don't think anyone knows those names. But I looked those people up. Uh, so the one guy, Chris Chris Ainscoff, he was actually the sound editor on Highlander. 
Oh, wow. And so he doesn't really have a ton of soundtrack credits. Uh, he has some more recent ones. I think he's done some film scoring. But my guess is this is his band. And he was oh. like, oh, we need, like, soundtrack. And they were like, oh, you're in a band? Like, you can use your stuff. Like, that'll be fine. I thought yeah, that was I thought that was interesting. The soundtrack is kind of satisfying in this episode. There's, like, a lot of, like, twangy guitar and stuff like that. It I, feels appropriate. It does. Yeah. yeah, there's, like, a lot of, like, mouth organ and, like, that sort of, like. There's, like, there's a harmonica. Yeah. Riff. That's definitely lifted from the score to Once Upon a Time in the West. Like the main bad or the main hero in that is named Harmonica. And through the whole movie, there's this Harmonica riff. The composer of this basically took that. It's basically <laughs> the exact same thing. Oh, wow. So yeah, if you see that movie, check it out, then watch this episode. So Duncan sets out to go rescue Tess. Though he doesn't, I guess suppose at this point he doesn't really know she needs rescuing. But when he gets there... He's greeted by kind of the shop owner at the foot of the mountain and the sheriff who are saying that they need to go, like they think she's been taken by the Beastmaster and his goons. Whose name is Caleb Cole. We should mention that because we're just calling him Beastmaster. And we will continue to call him Beastmaster. Right. So apparently Beastmaster is responsible for killing those two sheriffs in the, the first scene of the episode. And they're like, oh, you can come with us. And Duncan's like, you'll slow me down. And, like, decides to go after them. Duncan is always, uh, he always has, like, such disdain for the police. And yeah. Like, it's and a little bit shocking. It is, like, and I, in some way I can rationalize it, at least in, like, with Detective Pal and stuff. It's like, well, Pal, like, is maybe on to you. Yeah. And so, like, you don't like him because he could figure out, like, what's going on with you. This guy deserves none of the shit that Duncan gives him. Like, this guy absolutely wants to find Tess. Right. Even if Duncan didn't show up, this guy is going into the woods to look for Tess. The only thing this guy in Duncan's head is like, done wrong is he's waiting for backup because he's not an insane person. Uh, and right, going to yeah. go after, a, like, three murderers by himself. Yeah, and and Duncan just... just blows him off like they're a bunch of idiots. Yeah, and also at this point, he doesn't know. I mean, we're about to find out very soon that Beastmaster is immortal. But at this point, Duncan doesn't know that. Like, he has no reason to think he needs to go do this alone. So, like, why wouldn't you want to be crewed up with a bunch of sheriffs? Yeah. Still brings his sword, though. Well, I think he un- brings that because that's his only weapon he has. So he knows that right. even if this guy's not immortal, he's still dangerous. So he better bring something. Sure. Which he brings his unsheathed sword. <laughs> like, I don't know why he does not have a sheath, but his sword's just, like, sticking out, like... It's man, you're gonna like put somebody's eye out with that thing. Like. <laughs> and I'm I'm wondering what the rule like you you're not legally allowed to carry a sword around, are you? Open carry sword laws? Yeah, oh, that's a great question. Because the sheriff sees this man go into the woods where a woman is missing with a sword. <laughs> to me, that's not good that ain't good law enforcement. <laughs> yeah, at bare minimum, you know he's going in there intending to maybe cut someone up. Yeah. Like, that's dark. Yep. Uh, so anyway, Duncan goes into the woods, and he ends up. There's a flashback um, to 1868, and Duncan runs into Carl, who is both a master tracker and an idiot, like, <laughs> the, the master woodsman, Carl. Might you say a beast master? Maybe he basically is a beast master. He can he think like, like any animal, so he says. Yeah, so but he can't fight. Right, so let's play this clip and we'll talk about Carl a little bit. They have this very, I think, funny exchange. Put your hip here and take my hand. Good, like that. How do you track animals? 
You got to know what they want. Food and water. It sounds easy, but it ain't. Yeah, well, this looks easy, but it ain't. <laughs> Food and water. Also, hearing that clip, just if you just hear it in a vacuum, kind of sounds like they're banging. Also, <laughs> also the end of this scene, they're like kind of on the ground looking at each other's <laughs> eyes, and then there's like a slow fade to black. So it kind of just looks like they're going to bang at the end of it. They've just, <laughs> just, <laughs> they've just taken a shine out. to one another. Uh, All I'm saying is, Carl and Duncan get on just fine. So there's a, there's a couple notes I have on this scene that I just thought were like odd. Uh, well, Carl's an odd character to begin with. Like he's yep. clearly played up as kind of like this idiot savant, like this weird backwoodsy guy. He he reminds me we- weirdly of like Gollum or something. He's like, you want to know my secrets, like. Everyone's after him for like his precious. Is Carl an immortal? Yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, Did you not pick up on that? Yeah, Carl's absolutely immortal. I guess I assumed he was immortal, but I never bothered to think maybe he wasn't. Well, because Carl brings up being scalped in this scene, but he doesn't say anything about a quickening or his head being taken. I was confused. I wasn't sure if he was an immortal or not. I never even thought I was 100% sure the entire time he was an immortal. Also, I'm about 100% sure that the reason that Beastmaster has all of his Beastmaster sense is because he killed Caleb. Or because he killed Carl. Hmm. That's the implication, I thought. Interesting. That's the reason he's the Master Woodsman, is because he gained his secrets. Interesting. But through murder. Hmm. Through murder. Through murder. Murder. Uh, Also, this is another instance of weird competition with Native Americans, because Carl is also like, yeah, no Native Americans know how to get here. It's like, why is that the benchmark? (sighs) Man. It's very strange. Well, they're they're the best trackers, right? I guess so. In Highlander, I suppose that is the rule. Also, Carl needs lessons on fighting from Duncan, they meet because Carl attacks Duncan for no reason. <laughs> like, the start of this flashback is just Carl jumping out of a bush at Duncan. Yeah, well, I mean, because I think that's consistent with what we're talking about, because Carl senses that he's an immortal, assumes he's being hunted, because mm-hmm. that's what other people who come up there for, and he's right. trying to defend himself by attacking Duncan. But, sure. you know, he just lucks out that it's Mac and not, you know, somebody else. There you go. That makes sense. So after this flashback, we cut back to present. Tess is trying to signal a plane that flies overhead with a mirror. Joshua, who's Caleb's son, Beastmaster's son, sees her and stops her. And they kind of get into an altercation. And Beastmaster, like, flips out at Joshua. And he's like, <laughs> he's like, you got to talk to her with more respect. Respect. <laughs> It's <laughs> the way he says everything is amazing. That's awesome. Uh, and then, oh, good. It reminds us of the classic song, R E S P E E E E E C T. Respect. <laughs> That's good. So yeah, and then Caleb like is like, I would die for you. Uh, which is like, this guy is so lonely. Like, yeah. And also, I don't think he's being disingenuous. No. Like, I'm like, oh, he's for real. Like, this isn't some. Like, I'm going to convince her to come with me. I think he's just like, I'm a lonely woodsman. I will respect you, and I would die for you. <laughs> like, I just... <laughs> and also, you get he drops some hints that he may have done this in the past. Does he? Yeah, because he mentions that 
like Tesla. She says to Tess, like, you'll come around. They always come around. Oh, yeah. Hmm. So yeah. I think the implication is he's abducted women and taken them into the woods before. And I guess that eventually they like Stockholm Syndrome their way into tolerating him. So a few times Caleb le- leaves Tessa alone with Eddie, which seems like a weird idea. And Eddie's always kind of egging her on. He offers her venison jerky. Yeah. And it also gets really rapey. Yeah. Yeah. Uncomfortably. Very uncomfortable. Do you mean it gets uncomfortable because Eddie tries to rape Tess? Oh, yeah. That's it. Is that the part that made you uncomfortable? Yeah. Yeah. I think you found it. (laughs) It's also revealed um, that uh, Joshua is not Caleb's real son. He says, he ain't my real daddy. Well, that's something we haven't really talked about about on this show, right? But Tess very clearly seems to state that immortals can't have natural children. Right. Right. Um, which is a big part of, I think, the first movie. But I think this is the first time it's said in the show. So that's why he's adopted. It's because Beastmaster and all immortals can't have kids. Right. And I think this is also where Caleb kind of brings up some of his backstory. Yeah, we can play a little. Uh, Caleb Caleb talks about why he's here and what's happened to him, so let's play a little of that. They live like free men, beholden to none. This country gives us what we need. But there's some things that civilization does have. That are worth having. And he tries to touch her face. (laughs) It's gross. Dirty hands. (laughs) There was a woman. Joshua's Ma. We were together from the time he was three years old, a real family. And some doctors killed her. What? (laughs) What what does that mean? I couldn't sing. So is he like one of these guys who's like, you know, those quack doctors don't know what they're doing? I guess so. It, I guess it plays into his like, I'm from the like from nature, like his rejection of modern sort of, society. Yeah. So that's how he ended up becoming a mountain man. And then following this, Tess asks like, I thought a really strange question. She's like, "Don't you get lonely for other people?" It's like, no shit, Tess. That's why he just kidnapped you. Like, yeah. He's like, <laughs> I want to make you my wife. And she's like, aren't you lonely? It's like, duh. Yeah, no, I'm not, no, I'm not lonely. <laughs> but, but then his response is, we live like kings. <laughs> it's, it's a kings of what exactly? Of this, like, shit mountain? <laughs> king, king shit of fuck mountain. <laughs> kings. <laughs> Things of what? Not taking showers? <laughs> but anyway, so while this is going on, the sheriff has been trying to track him, but go and like has actually been following their literal tracks, but goes the wrong way. Like Duncan knows, has a sense of where they're actually headed, so he is able to head that direction while the sheriffs get like bluffed out and go the wrong way. But eventually, he gets. These guys get the drop on Duncan. Eddie and Josh, yeah, like corner Duncan. Right. And they're like above a ravine, and they're going to shoot him down in there and like kick his body. And they're like, that's what we did with the sheriff. And so rather than get shot, Duncan just like takes a swan dive. <laughs> yeah. A literal swan dive. Off the cliff. Here's something 
I'm wondering about in this is no no immortal Spidey sense from either Duncan or Caleb Not at yet. this point. No. Well, I guess this is another one of those questions of just how far away do you have to be? Yeah. Because I guess at this point, he could theoretically be a half mile away from this guy or more. Right. So maybe no immortal Spidey sense. So Josh and uh, Eddie take Duncan's sword when he jumps off. They, yep. t- they take his sword back. And eventually we cut down to the ravine. And this is another really gruesome scene. It's, it's disgusting. So Duncan is like in broken pieces down at the bottom. Because like, he just left off this massive cliff. And he's got blood all over him. And yeah. so then it's like him like being reborn. Like he's coming back. Mm-hmm. And there are just this, these cracking sounds. Yeah, his bones like are his snapping, snapping back, back into, into shape. It's just really intense. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty like cringe-inducing. Yeah. I have a note here. I thought the music in this sequence was pretty good. Like, I haven't noticed the music in this show, like, for good or ill, really, up until this episode. This except episode, for the, the licensed properties. Yeah, except for the Queen music. Yeah, and stuff like that. But this episode, I thought the score was actually pretty good. I agree, yeah. It's yeah. a pretty good score. Yeah, the, the, the we haven't talked about yeah, the music in this show. It kind of flies under the radar, like... It doesn't do too much. Spe- it's very like soap opera y, a lot of like piano. Yeah. A lot of just kind of held strings, like for suspense. It's it's not a lot of like memorable cues or anything. But right. yeah, this, this episode had a lot of like nice moments. Uh, yeah. Gave some character to it. When Joshua and the other guy bring back the sword, Beastmaster starts to be instantly suspicious that Duncan might be an immortal because he is an immortal as he reveals very soon thereafter. Yeah, we see that Caleb has an axe, and that's like his weapon of choice. Right. But the thing that's perplexing is for some reason, Tess is just, she's got all these beans, and she's just spilling them everywhere. <laughs> like, yeah. she can't stop herself from revealing all this information. Yeah, she's immediately like, oh, wait, aha, uh-huh. I know an immortal too, and he's after you, and he's going to get you, and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and it's like, and let me tell you his name. Would you like his address? Like, she's immediately just like, let me tell you everything about my boyfriend. <laughs> when really, the thing that would be most to their benefit, I suppose, would be if he didn't think anything of this, and Duncan just magically reappeared to hunt him. Yeah, I mean, I guess at this point he is suspicious because he's holding a sword, and why would anybody have a sword that isn't an immortal? But I don't know. She definitely, like, did not need to tell him all that info. So Duncan climbs his way back up the ravine and resumes the hunt, but I guess his shirt gets kind of damaged somehow (laughs) in the fall. (laughs) So he rips up part of it and turns them into, like, these cloth bracers on his arm and just rolls shirtless and hilarity ensues yeah Yeah. so this is the first episode like this this series definitely draws a lot from like romance novels but this episode this is the first one that is like a hundred percent a romance novel yeah every bit of the way it's shot like the man's got to rescue the woman like duncan is just beefcaking it yeah, up his, and down. His, he lets his hair down. He's shirtless. He's like glistening. Yeah. It's like every excuse they can have to show him in like slow motion, like framed in flecks of water. Yeah, he's wearing like he's got like jeans on, and they have like a it's, he's got like a Celtic belt buckle, long hair, and he's just slow mo running through like a stream. 
with his pecs like bouncing around. I thought it looked like the poster for Last of the Mohicans, where Daniel Day Lewis is like running towards you with his hair all out. <laughs> Which, no offense to Daniel Day Lewis, but Adrian Paul is, you know, yeah. a fine specimen of a man. Oh, sure. That being said, the whole s- we're gonna have a a clip of this up on oh yeah we're our have, Facebook we're page. Have some pictures of Duncan's luscious. Hard body. The yeah. other thing about this is, though, Duncan is like going into like Rambo mode slash Arnold Schwarzenegger from Predator One mode. Like he's like he's he's gone almost like feral. Like he's eating. He's like <laughs> hunched over, eating berries. Like Gollum. He he's Gollum. Yeah. Like is he channeling Carl? I do think it ends up being kind of interesting because the impression I got was in terms of just the way they talk about nature versus, like, comparing Duncan to Beastmaster. Beastmaster seems to have this notion that he's the master of this environment. Like, he's the king, he's in control, he rules this area. Whereas Carl's whole theory seemed to be that, like, you listen to nature, you're in touch with it, you become one with it. So, like, Duncan going feral almost plays into that theme, that in order to beat him, he needs to become completely one with nature again and kind of understand this whole ecosystem better than somebody who wants to control it. Yeah, that's good. So he's on the trail, and he remembers Carl's advice about the river, which allegedly nobody has found or been able to reach in, like, what is it, 100 years or something ridiculous like that? At the end of the episode, the sheriff sees that they've come up here and is, like, blown away. And he's like, you've done something that no one's done in a hundred years. And it's like, what? Just physically walk to a place? Like, (laughs) also, how do you know? Is there some detailed oral history of people not going places? Yeah. It's kind of silly. Like, they really wanted to make this place so remote and mythical. But it's also got a river. Like, people could just follow that river. <laughs> yep. It's very puzzling. It plays into this notion that they're in a kind of magical place that is completely divorced from right. civilization. So anyway, Duncan ends up finding Joshua. Mm-hmm. Because Joshua's gone upstream to hunt for some deer. And so Duncan, like, leaps out. He's like, rah! That he, shot's awesome. It is awesome. He's, like, 90 degrees. He's, like, parallel to the ground. Yeah. It's a great It's So Duncan tackles Joshua down. And then they kind of cut away. And so we don't really know what happened to Joshua, although we yeah. think he's dead because Caleb has found, like, his crossbow and rifle upstream. Right. Which also, if we've just seen Bad Day in Building A, I, too, thought he was dead. Yeah. Just because yeah. Duncan's been on a... I think at this point it counts as a spree. Oh, yeah. So in the next scene, when he finds the crossbow, when Caleb Beastmaster finds the crossbow, he's like screaming into the forest. He's like, nothing's stopping me from killing you like you killed Joshua. Yeah. And Tess is like, hey, like, no, that's not his way. And it's like, it's totally his way. Again, the last episode, he murders everybody. And this is yeah, where I'm inclined to think after seeing these episodes back to back that the portrayal of him in Bad Day and Building A was is the outlier. Oh yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> when he finds Joshua's crossbow, cl- crossbow, he also says some pretty good lines here. First of all, Tess, like we said, told Caleb Duncan's full name. So he's like McLeod, Duncan McLeod. <laughs> We're going to fight Naked Blade to Naked Blade. <laughs> Which I thought was pretty great. Was pretty good. And he also says he's going to saw his head off with a pocket knife. But, but Caleb, Caleb like, runs back to Tess. I did notice that 
Eddie hikes ahead, and he's got the sword and the axe in yeah. his pack. And I was like, why does he have both of those? Right. Like, That's something I noticed. When Caleb they, knows that Duncan's out there. Yeah, like, after they shove off initially, like, Eddie still has the axe and the sword. And I'm like, Caleb, you know an immortal is after you now. Why you both. <laughs> don't you have yeah, a weapon? Yeah. So this introduces something that we actually talked about during the pilot episode of just what the rules are vis-a-vis, like, guns. <laughs> because we right. talked about in the terms of, like, slam the cat's ballistic knife kind of thing that he uses. So... Beastmaster seemingly wants to shoot Duncan with a rifle and then cut his, just like methodically slice his head off with a knife. And it seems like that would fly because he does in fact shoot at him. So it doesn't seem like there's anything in the rules of the game or anything mystic that would prevent him from doing this, which just leads me to wonder why all immortals at that point don't carry handguns. Just carry a like short sword and that for like chopping heads off and then just like a, a handgun. Just I do guess. A, just do a drive-by followed by, drive a, decap- by. Followed by <laughs> yeah. a decapitation. It's one of those things about the show that's like where it, it veers into like making it too real. Like if you think about it too much, like yeah. it's like it takes the magic out of it because it's like, yeah, if they all carried guns, I guess that would make sense. But, but, it, wouldn't the, be, but it wouldn't be fun at all. Like, yeah. And it wouldn't be like magical and like romantic. And in, right. in short, I just kind of feel like it should be against the rules. Like there should just be a reason and they wouldn't even need to explain it. Yeah, right. just it's like an arbitrary rule. It's just no an guns. arbitrary rule that they're all because it's goddamn magic, just yeah. bound to follow. Like they just can't do what this seems to introduce that they're allowed to do. Yeah. Hmm. Beastmaster confronts Eddie because he thinks at this point Tess has planted doubt in his in Beastmaster's mind that right. Eddie and Joshua were fighting over mm-hmm. her. Right. And he's like, That wouldn't be possible. Like they'd know I'd kill him. And she's like, No, they were. So now he's thinking that Maybe Eddie's the one that killed Josh, not yeah. Duncan. Uh, so he confronts Eddie about it. Eddie denies it all, but Beastmaster doesn't care, and so he shoots Eddie and kills him. And here's what bugs me about this is Tessa is trying to turn them against each other. That's the thread I thought she was on. Oh, yeah. Then when Caleb, when Beastmaster kills Eddie, she's, like, disgusted by it. She's like, don't do it. It's 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 fine. Like, like she's... Isn't that what you wanted? Yeah. It was exactly what she wanted. <laughs> it was a very puzzling scene. Unless that was, like, part of what... It was, like, a, like inception deception. Like, it was, like, <laughs> a, a lie within a lie that, like... She was trying to be so into this lie that yeah. to make it more likely for him to do it. But I agree, that was puzzling. At this point, Duncan has like closed in on them. And so Beastmaster senses Duncan and he's close. And so he then yells, he's yelling out into the forest because he knows Duncan's there. He's like, I had your woman. I had her good. Which is gross. It's, it's just like, gross. Oh, it's disgusting. And, and again, this is another like weird thread that keeps popping its head up. Yeah. From the movie where there's like all this sort of rapey stuff, and that's like continued in well, the yeah. series. Like Slan says that to Tess. Like, yep. Once once I'm done with you, I'm coming back for your woman. Like every character, Slade, Slade as a creepy thing towards her. Everybody wants to rape the ladies. Like it's. I, to me, it feels like a lazy way to make you hate a villain right because it's like what's what's the most what are the most detestable things that you can see these people doing kill a baby yeah so kill a baby (laughs) like in free fall because obviously she like they they don't want her to be a rapist um 
though yeah. I suppose it's strictly speaking possible. But like all these male characters, just as like a shortcut, like, oh, we got to make this guy really detestable. Yeah. They're a rapist now. Right. Or like there's this looming threat of sexual violence that we can use to turn the audience against this person and make them invested in their demise. Right. Enough's so. enough, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, really, it is. It, yeah. it, it was too much. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. It's enough of this, yeah. Because uh, also at this point, it's not true. Right. Like, I guess this maybe links into the whole point of, like, make your opponent angry. Yeah. I, I, why is he? I guess he's doing it to get Duncan's goat so he comes out. And, I think so. Yeah. The test is right there. Yeah. Like, no, I didn't. <laughs> 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 nope. No, it's not. So Duncan kind of makes himself known and leaps out, and they, they start scuffling. But they switch weapons at some point. This is awesome. Yeah. You know, like, the, the whole time, what's-his-face, uh, Beastmaster has Duncan's sword. Right. But then, like, because Tess tries to give him the katana, but Beastmaster stops her and takes it. But then as Duncan's coming out to confront, he grabs the axe. And also, it's awesome because he's, as we talked about before, he's in full-on feral mode, like, with these cloth, cloth bracers and, like, hair flowing everywhere. So now he's just got this axe, and he just straight up looks like a barbarian. Yeah, he like, looks like it's Conan. Like a, it's Conan. Yeah. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah, actually. this is a great fight scene. Something we missed, too, is that Caleb knew Carl and killed him. Right. I was wondering when that happens. Do we assume that happened just like 12 years ago when they moved up there? That's what yeah. I assumed, because it didn't sound like he was a mountain man for ever and ever. He only came up there 12 years ago. So this fight scene... Is actually great. I think think they're both of those guys are like super physical. Yeah, Yeah, and especially like right from jump, essentially when Duncan kind of dives at him, and Caleb does this kind of acrobatic throw and like hurls him over his head, and they both tumble into the river. It's like really good physical acting. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, Duncan wins this fight. Yeah. Uh, It doesn't seem like he's going to at first because they actually both end up stabbing each other. Yeah, though I'm a little surprised by how, like, they both basically Caleb stabs him, but then Duncan hits him with the axe, which is interesting in and of itself because it shows that, like, you know what? Immortals can fight differently than humans because both of them just dealt, like, career ending blows to one another if they were mortals. Like, no one would be willing to do that. But it's like, well, you stabbed me. I might as well try to kill you now. Is <laughs> something that a mortal can do. But it seems like that wasn't like a fair trade. Like getting s- stabbed <laughs> with an stabbed with like that sword versus like having an axe like hewn into your side. Like one sounds way worse than the other. Yeah. So Duncan wins. He takes Caleb's head with, the with axe, an axe, which yeah. is yeah. awesome. Due solely to Caleb just missing. I guess the yeah. the the miss that happens. It doesn't even look, look like Duncan dodges. Like for as great as this fight scene is, the last moment of it is Caleb with the katana just swinging over Duncan's head like unforced error. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, then there's a quickening. Um, so. Interesting thing about the quickening. Well, I guess this is the first time Tess has like witnessed yeah. this sort of thing. Uh, so I guess shocker to her. Um, but I guess it's interesting the way they do the quickening. Like they have the river like boil. I thought stuff. that was awesome. I, thought I was, was cool. waiting for a yeah. bunch of fish to rise to the top yeah. at the end of it. <laughs> that like um, the water was boiling. I thought that was really I th- yeah. Cool. It's cool. I give the show a lot of credit. Like they need to have these quickenings in like future episodes, like almost every week, because there's kind of like the immortal of the week. So somebody has to die. 
and yeah, I give them a lot of credit for trying to be creative with them. Uh, so like, I think this is the first example where it's like a different sort of quickening. Like this isn't like what we've seen before. Uh, so anyway, after Duncan wins, he ends up burying Caleb. Um, with the axe, like he makes like a little stone grave, like pile stones on top of him and sticks his axe out the top of it. Yeah. Uh, and he says to like the sheriff ends up showing up and he's like, what, what's that about? And he's like, well, I figured Caleb should be buried out here and not in a cemetery. And first off, does Duncan really believe that? Like, I, I was kind of questioning. It's like, does he really think C- Caleb deserves like to be out here, like not go to a cemetery? Or is this just his like ruse to like people won't look into this body if it's just buried out here? Which also, yes, they <laughs> absolutely will. You just confess to a group of cops that you killed this guy and then buried his body. Well, it's they- like, oh. Well, we're digging him up. He, you're, he does belong somewhere else. He and they don't ask him a damn question about well, it. Well, they, like, say, they say that Eddie and, and Caleb turned on one another, and that's why they're both dead. But why would Duncan bury Caleb and not Eddie? And also, still, there are two dead people. And no follow-up questions. Nope. And all, the sheriff calls Duncan the most amazing son of a bitch I've known in all my years. <laughs> yeah, which also you'd think they would want to at least check the bodies and discover, oh, wait, one of them has been decapitated. <laughs> like, that would raise an eyebrow by or the, two. By the guy who was seen entering the woods with a sword. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, like, also the other guy was shot. Like, the other guy has been shot dead. So there's no way he decapitated his friend. Right? Yep. So this story is just facially implausible. Yep. But the cops are like, oh, okay. Sounds good to me. Well, Duncan is an amazing son of a bitch, so he might have gotten a pass. Yeah. Most amazing son of a bitch I've seen in all my years. And so the ending of this episode is really strange. Like, the little tag after this whole thing with the sheriff and everything is Duncan's like, oh, I forgot something. And he goes to, the, like, the edge of the river and gets his sword out of the water. Yep. It's like, in the meantime, after this fight, he, like, dug a grave, buried a body, like, answered, like, talked to the cop, like... He didn't get the sword ever. Like, I assumed that was he was concealing the sword from the cops, so they didn't uh, know right. he was the one who did it. That's probably what it was. But I, what, got, like, but wouldn't I, didn't have, I didn't have enough time to walk over here. And pick but wouldn't the cop be like, "Where was that sword you brought into the woods? <laughs> yeah, and where are all your clothes? <laughs> the swords with my clothes." Good uh, police work, sheriff. One weird behind the scenes thing about this. So this episode is like kind of a little Rambo, uh, but also. It's actually inspired by like real life events. Yeah, torn from the Whoa. headlines, like law and order. order, like yeah. law and order. Uh, so Carrie Swanson or Swenson, uh, she was an American biathlete, hmm. and in 1984 she got like the the, the bronze medal at the Olympics. Wow, uh, her and her team. Way to go! Um, but anyway, she ended up. Uh, well, oh, she went to Temple University here in Philly, which is cool. Yep. Whoop. Uh, But, yeah, she was kidnapped by a father and son pair, uh, Don and Dan Nichols. And they were two experienced survivalists who who wanted to make Swenson the bride of them and start a family in the mountains. That's very creepy. And they ended up making, like, a TV movie about it. Uh, So I thought that was interesting that this is is also, again, like, just Highlander grafting some other plot onto its story. Highlander Special Victims Unit. (laughs) That said... This is a pretty good episode. It's I, I think it's thoroughly entertaining. It's it's probably the best of the like past couple we've seen. Yeah, um, no question. Caleb Cole delivers, albeit an insane performance, an enjoyable. His and voice is unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> he yeah. speaks like a frog the whole time, and it's so on point with kind of the over the top villain notion that they were going for. Like they were not looking for subtle villains. 
at this point in the series. I don't mind life. the villains being and it's over the top. All no. fine. It's actually great. Like that yeah. was super entertaining. Respect. Respect. The cloud. <laughs> More like this and less like Sheriff Bad Guy. Oh yeah, yeah. This character would have been great as Sheriff Bad Guy from uh, the voice, certainly. The, certainly. Yeah. Anything. I guess I I had a weird question. I I just thought maybe it would spark a little conversation. Does Tess play a victim in this? Often in this often in this series, I feel like she's kind of the damsel in distress. I does feel like does she play into that trope in this episode? It's or a kind mix. Of no. He hits her a lot in this episode, which is something we didn't really mention. Like, yeah. he is mean. <laughs> He's mean. Yeah, like, yeah that's a, one way to describe. Well, he, like, batters her, and at one point she's, like, physically restrained, and he's leading her around on a leash. Yep. That's pretty terrible. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, she's certainly victimized. She's not... There are points, though, where she shows a lot of ingenuity and seems like more than just a pure damsel. Yeah, like, like I like when she's dropping, like, the clues, like, the film canister, the mirror, I think she drops yeah, at and another she's, point. Yeah, and she's manipulating them. Like, right. she, she gets one of them to be killed, so she's kind of... And when she's initially captured, she steals the knife from one of them and, like, resists. So I, th- I feel like she puts a pretty good effort forward. She's not portrayed in yeah. this, like, a purely one-dimensional she way. She does participate in the fight at the end. She doesn't really do anything, but she takes a machete, and she's, like, waiting there. Yeah, I was kind of waiting for her to jump in, because at yeah. one point, Caleb just, like, steps on Duncan's face yeah. like, and has him under the river. And I was like, oh, this is your moment, Tess, to just come in and, like, knock him on the head. Nope. So, yeah, any other uh, final thoughts on this episode? Watch it. This is yeah. worth your time. This is a good yeah, one. If, if, good if one. nothing else, just see Mark Singer like act like a maniac. It's pretty good. So Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, anyway, thanks for uh, listening. Uh, make sure to like us on Facebook, Highlander Rewatched. Uh, follow us on Twitter at The Rewatchers and on Instagram at Highlander Rewatched. Subscribe on iTunes. Tell your friends about us. Uh, if they're new to the series, this is a great way to get into it. Um, and make sure to subscribe, or, or not subscribe, excuse me, rate us on iTunes. And you can also follow us on Stitcher on the Android. Eamon, what's your Instagram? People can yeah. check out your awesome art. And- check out uh, Eamon B. Doc on Instagram, E-A-M-O-N-B-D-O-C. Awesome. Uh, yeah, and join us next week for episode number eight, Deadly Medicine. Thanks a lot for listening. I'm Keith. Kyle. Amen. Bye. Bye-bye. Respect. McLeod. Duncan McLeod. Respect. Naked blade to naked blade. We live like cheese. Some doctors killed her. McLeod. I had your woman. I had her good. Respect. I'll take your quickening. Take your germs. <laughs> I think those are good.